the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the coronavirus. We're also going to talk the power of living in community. And Ian Simpkins has returned. This is The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, alongside Ian Simpkins, yeah, back after being gone for a week and a week and a half or so. Welcome back, man. Dude, good to be back. What glorious weather we're having. <laughs> yes, you brought it back with you. My goodness. And uh, you, as good as it feels for you to be back, it feels better for me, because now it's like, <laughs> okay, here we go. But you're in Tennessee. That's right. Not on vacation, doing, right. doing work, but was it a good week? It was a great week. Yeah, it was actually, uh, so I'm going to seminary yep. at uh, Emanuel Seminary in Johnson City, yes, Tennessee. we were trying to get the name of it. That's we're like, right. I know something in Tennessee. You were looking for seminary. I cannot encourage this program enough. It was also, so twice a year, we get to be on campus for a week. For a sort of week-long intensive module, if you will. I I will. You will. Wonderful. (laughs) And this was our preaching course, so I just ate it up. We had so much fun. It's a lot because it's like 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. in a classroom every day. It's just one class, like one Uh module. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's fascinating. Okay. Well, you're getting smart. You should know that last week while you were gone and yesterday, I told people that you're going to come back wiser and smarter. Mm -mm. And uh, that we are looking forward to that. So we look for, we're going to do a whole segment later on just Ian's wisdom. Let me tell you the word segment in Greek, Brian. <laughs> it's pronounced segment, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, so now you're a better preacher, you're no, wise. No, 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 and no. then. Uh, not to be dark, not to be sad, because it's good to have you back. But then you were in Nashville, you were saying, mm-hmm. right before, not, I mean, you got out only hours before that tornado hit. That had to be a little crazy. Turn on the TV and hear that, like, a tornado ripped through there. Well, yeah. So after my week in seminary, we drove, I drove uh, into Nashville, and then my wife flew down, and uh, Grandma Marion took care of the kids overnight for us. So we got to have just a couple of days, just nice. her and I. In Nashville, which was lovely and so needed, and we got to see a, a good deal of that great city. But yeah, uh, just just missed just missed those uh, tornadoes, and that yeah. was that was really scary to see. Really scary and tragic. So I know we're day late on this, but just praying for those people down there. Uh, it's weird when you're in kind of the Christian world. Nashville is such a has like such a high Christian uh, population mm-hmm. that I think you'd end up realizing, wow, I know a lot of people who live in Nashville, and right. so. Uh, it just sounds really scary. I was watching on Today's show about how it came kind of just uh, – it's two times as deadly when a tornado comes at night for obvious reasons. People are asleep right. or it's dark or whatever. But this one came in the middle of the night and uh, right right in the middle of the of the city. So uh, really sad, pl- praying for people down there. And uh, But, yeah, man, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. Uh, and we uh, – good shows while you were gone, but – Always better shows when you're here. Let's be honest. Let's just uh, let's just be honest. Though. I I did listen while I was gone. Good, and it helped you. <laughs> Little inside joke, but that is funny right there. And uh, <laughs> I listened to your show. 
Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any further comments? No, nope, not really. Nope. I listened. <laughs> no, it was great. You guys did a really good job. As a reminder, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160hope.com, and you can listen to any of those old shows from last week or earlier this week on the podcast. Uh, really thankful for the number of great guests who came through, pastors, authors, ministry leaders, and uh, really some uh, some interesting people. So I'd encourage you to go back uh, into the podcast and find those. Well, we wanted to start because uh, with each and every day, uh, the coronavirus and um, I would say the fears around the coronavirus mm-hmm. and just the impact of the coronavirus uh, just seems to be growing. You know, we're only a week or two uh, out from when it just felt like, OK, it's it's just in China and it's really sad. But, uh, you know, that's a that's a long way away from here. And then you start hearing, you know, they're shutting things down in Italy and France. Uh, and now, uh, you know, more and more cases are just starting to pop up here in the States yep. and even in Illinois. I wonder, you and I haven't talked coronavirus in a while. I wonder what just kind of your observations. Is it starting to cause you fear? Uh, what are your thoughts as you're watching all this go on? I mean, I, you know, probably to a fault. I'm not typically mm-hmm. someone to be as worked up by this, even if I should be, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But like I was just reading that uh, fourth person in Illinois tested positive for the disease a couple of days ago. Um, so that's significant. I think six people in the country have died so far. Yeah, that's right. State, six, seven, something like that. Um, there was just this massive trade show in Chicago that canceled mm-hmm. because of some of the scares. And that, you know, that was an event that supposedly drew like 60,000 people. So that's a pretty wow. like massive cancellation. And, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole thing is, it's interesting because I have people obviously on both sides of the argument. Some are posting articles about like this is being blown way out of proportion. I've seen those. Yeah, the amount of people that you know die from the flu or ten times that amount, and then other people that are obviously really, really concerned. Yeah, and it does make me feel a little bit like, gosh, I don't even really know how to navigate that. I mean, one of the memes that I keep seeing over and over again is. Um, it's just a good idea to wash your hands in general. You, know, <laughs> you don't have to wait for some outbreak. Like that's good policy. And I was like, well, that's fair. Like I, but I think some of the people that are obviously very affected, yeah. it goes way deeper than just simply for sure not washing their hands. You know, so yeah. having been in the airport, even seeing a lot of people with masks and a lot of concerned people, and a lot of people seem to be interacting much less. Which was very strange. Yeah, we did an article. I'm losing track of days that you weren't here either yesterday or the day before. We did an article around the fact that uh, a lot of churches are changing their practices. Uh-huh. We actually changed the way we did communion this week just to just I'm not I don't tend to be a germaphobe. And so these kind of things mm. kind of go past me. I'm always like, eh, whatever. Right. Uh, but there were just some people who, you know, you could tell uh, are a little skittish. And we did an article yesterday or the day before, as I said, the Catholic Church, the diocese around this area. Uh, they kind of came down and said, "Hey, we're not going to pass the peace, and we're not gonna we're going to do communion mm. differently." Mm. So I would say uh, it is having an effect, and I think that's the really interesting thing about this is what is the effect going to be going forward? If I remember right, I read something where Facebook canceled one of their big presentation things. Wow! Uh, like you said, this trade show. Uh, when is it going to start affecting schools? It already is in the places where things have popped up. It is. The scary part for me, uh, and I'm probably a little naive about this, but the scary part for me is like, what's this going to do to our day-to-day lives going right. forward? Uh, and I think that's a really interesting conversation. If it starts getting to the point where it's like, hey, we need to really limit as much as we can right. uh, people being in the same in the same rooms with each other, large mm-hmm. groups of people, what does that do to our churches, to our schools? I think 
Uh, I I wonder where this is going to go right uh, in the coming weeks. Well, we don't have time to talk about it right now, but I did I did see another article that was it took a really interesting perspective about how things like this affect different people very yeah. differently, mm-hmm. uh, not just in terms of their susceptibility, but you know I think it is easy to take for granted, like oh take a day off work or go see a doctor. Well, some people or in some professions or certain socioeconomic classes, like that's not a luxury they have actually. So, you know, it is sometimes easier, like just stay home or just, mm-hmm. you know, there are millions of people that are hearing that saying, I, I can't afford to stay home. Right. I don't have that option. And so I, maybe we'll talk about it later in the week. I would be really curious to, to tackle that angle a little bit because honestly, like I read it and I thought, man, there's a, there's a whole lot of nuance to this story mm. that I did not think about beyond just simply sanitation and safety. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's a great point because uh, certain people, you you get told to stay home, you're still going to get paid and you're still going to – Right. Things are going to be okay. You got sick days or you uh, – right. Other people, like you don't work, you don't make any money, you that's don't right. get paid. And so how is that going to play out? I think it's uh, – and you know, we'll, we'll say what we said a couple of days ago. This is also an opportunity – for the church, and it's an opportunity for the church to care for people, but also an opportunity to um, kind of have a reflection upon fear, and yeah. and uh, and so I think a lot, you know, I think things, you know, I don't think this is just going to die out, and so I think things are going to get interesting here in the coming mm-hmm. weeks. Well, uh, coming up next, we are going to dive back into a blog that we tend to be in a, a lot, oh, pastor guy, uh, a pastor that we really enjoy by the name of Scott Sauls. Uh, wrote a blog uh, entitled Performance Fatigue. Hmm. Uh, We are going to talk about that next. Ian Simpkins is back with us today. (laughs) You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. I'm going to keep saying that in an excited way. When When you miss a week's worth of shows and it's just like, Alongside Ian Simpkins, <laughs> he's here. I mean, I do appreciate the smile and glow on your face right now. It is uh, noticeable. It is, and then I, I did get into the rhythm of saying usually alongside Ian Simpkins, mm. or you know, so don't uh, get too used to it. When was the last time I was gone? Oh, that's the thing. I talked about that on one of the shows. I'm like, I'm supposed to be the one who goes away. <laughs> <laughs> is that becoming your shtick? I'm usually the one who comes in and goes out, and half the time Brian Fromm is here. <laughs> <laughs> 20, then, 26 weeks out of the year. And then for the one week that you're gone, I'm like, oh my gosh, where is he? <laughs> Hurry back. Were you saying that in front of guests? Yes. Oh, <laughs> this guest is good, but I can't take it anymore. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we we don't know exactly how that helps us, but it helps us. Mm-hmm. No. And when you when you write a nice review, we know it helps just our our souls. It helps our souls. So. And you can ask Alexa, I think. Or are we back to this? <laughs> it still hasn't happened. <laughs> oh, you're God. Oh my gosh! I am going to bring it up every segment now. I didn't. Even, I didn't even remember every it. <laughs> segment. You're like, what's Alexa? Well, one of our favorite pastors who we talk about often. Uh, is a pastor named Scott Sauls, hoping to have him on the show one of these days. But Scott Sauls is the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church, I believe that's what it's called, actually in Nashville. And uh, Scott Sauls, he he tweets, a lot of his tweets we will we will read, he's pretty prolific. But what he really does a lot of uh, is he writes a really honest blog. And I think that's why I'm drawn to it and to mm. his books. They're just very honest. He talks a lot about 
as a pastor. I mean, he's in a very successful church. He was basically the number two guy to Tim Keller for mm-hmm. years in New York, then went and uh, moved to Nashville uh, to lead Christ Presbyterian Church. It's a big church. Everything, uh, if you look from the outside at all of Scott Sauls' ministry, books, blog, uh, pastor, the size of his church, whatever else it might be, you're like, man, that guy is just killing it. Uh, and yet he will talk often in his books and his blogs about the anxiety he struggles with, mm-hmm. the depression, that he's oftentimes up pacing at night. Uh, and so I think that's why I and maybe we are kind of drawn to him. There's this honesty to yeah. him about pastoring and about the faith. And he wrote a blog, and it's a little while ago, but it still really holds. Uh, it's called Jesus and Performance Fatigue. And the first time I saw that, I was like, okay, this is probably pretty good. So yeah. uh, do you have a chance to read it? If so, what's kind of the vibe of Jesus and Performance Fatigue? Well, let me – the beginning illustration is so good. Mm-hmm. Rather than summarize, I just want to kind of read it, Go for it and stop me if I just get long-winded because us preachers tend to do that sometimes. So he begins by saying in the classic play Fiddler on the Roof, which is phenomenal, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, a husband and wife have two daughters who have both fallen in love. The husband, noticing how happy the daughters are, turns to his wife and asks her, do you love me? She responds, do I love you? For 25 years, I have washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked with a cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Do I love him? For 25 years, I have lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years, my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? To which the husband nervously mutters, then you love me? Clearly, the wife is missing the essence of love, for love is complete. Love is at its most healthy place when the duties of love are driven by the delights of mm. love. That's a Scott Saul's yeah. classic right there. Yeah. In some ways, the wife and fiddler on the roof is a parable for all of us. Caught up in the pressure of daily responsibilities, distractions, and the tyranny of the urgent, our most important relationships, the ones that once made us come alive and were the source of our deepest joy, become dull and flat. What used to bring us delight becomes mere duty. What used to stir our affections becomes an annoyance. What used to be our most tangible experience of grace becomes poisoned by grudges. What used to be face-to-face becomes side-to-side at best or back-to-back at worst. So I'll stop there because he kind of gets into some Mary Martha stuff, uh, a story in the scriptures that uh, many of us are familiar with. But I think that that is a really uh, interesting kind of cautionary tale. I'm always curious, too, when pastors write blogs like this. I want to ask them, like, what was going on in your life when you wrote this? Were you seeing this? In your church, or were you experiencing this in your own relationships? Like, I'm always so fascinated by why this blog, when you wrote it. Um, but I, th- it's a double-edged sword for me because I think some of love is just doing the things when you don't feel mm-hmm. like them, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that part of it. Like, well, uh, I, I didn't give flowers because I don't feel in love, or I didn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, I didn't, uh, we didn't take a vacation because I don't feel loving. Yeah. So I think there's part of it, you know, there's just doing the thing because of the commitment, the covenant. Mm. Um, especially in a marriage relationship. But I also think, and he's talking in a more global sense, that sometimes uh, Christians, pastors, Christ followers in general, can struggle at just sort of letting the thing become the aim, and that does have a way of kind of wearing Mm -hmm. us down, so it becomes less about intimacy with Jesus and more about like doing Christian things. And Christian things are good, Mm -hmm. for sure, Mm -hmm. but I I mean, if we miss intimacy— uh, everything else is just sort of behavior modification. And I think that that's where I think it starts to get kind of dangerous. Yeah, and like you said, he he digs into the Mary and the Martha story where Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and Martha is just working and working and working to get the house ready right? and gets really mad and says, Jesus, tell her to work. And Jesus kind of flips it and 
and sides with Mary, if you will, and, and wanting Martha just to sit at his feet. And I do. I think marriage is such a great uh, picture into this because, like you said, after I've been married 20 years and after 20 years, I love my wife. You know, I would say I love her more deeply than I did when we first got married. Right, right. But I'm also not sure I'm good at showing that sure. after 20 years. You start to assume love. Like, uh-huh. you start to say, well, of course she knows I love her. Of course she knows, you know, and uh, and that that's a really good part of the Fiddler on the Roof example there. Just kind mm. of the, hey, I do this for you. I'm with you. And, of course, I love you. And you're like, do you? Yeah. Um, right. and, and, and when that translates into our faith, into our relationship with Jesus, I could totally see it, you know. Uh, come on, Jesus! I, I I write sermons, I preach, I work for you. I right. I've been doing this. I don't do this, and I don't do that. Of course, I'm on your team, uh, and and that can that can grow really stale over mm-hmm. time, and that can get, um, yeah, that can lose that kind of, uh, like you said, that feeling of love. And like you, I think you said really well. Not everything gets driven by feeling, whether it be marriage or anything else. Yeah. Uh, but just imagine your marriage without any feeling and right. without any emotion. That would really be a difficult marriage to be a part of. Well, I like how he sort of imagines it here because he gets into the Greek a little bit. He's like, the word that's used for her serving is a positive thing. So it's not like mm-hmm. she is doing this awful thing. She's doing the thing that all of us, if Jesus was coming to your house, yeah. We'd all be like frantically vacuuming and making sure that the dishes were done and that the house didn't smell bad and you know all that stuff. So he says the um, he said Jesus was pleading with her, not scolding her as if she were some sort of rebel. Martha, Martha is Jesus's uh, uh, gesture of compassion and kindness to Martha and also to us. And then he writes, Martha, Martha, before you try to change the world, you must first let me change you. Uh, before you make your mark on others, you f- you must first let me make my mark on you. Before you get busy to make things better, you mm. must first let me make you better. Before you can serve and feed me, you must first let me serve and feed you. You see, Martha's affliction is not that she is a busybody. Her affliction is that she has a busy heart. She's mm. distracted with much serving, and because of this, her very legitimate life-giving diagonal service is spoiled. She is working from a chaotic center. She is seeking to create order from a cluttered core. She is so busied and distracted by secondary things that she has lost touch with the first thing, which is the love that brought her into friendship with Jesus in the first place. That's really good. I thought that was really strong. Yeah, let me read how he finishes this. He says, For Martha and the elder brother, he talks about the prodigal son story too, the word from God is, All that I have is already yours. Come sit with me. Enter my rest. Hmm. And this is also the word from God for us. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Let's go find rest at his feet then, shall we? Uh, what a great word. And I think you bring up an interesting point that I even think about. What was going on in Saul's life right. when he wrote that in his ministry, in his life, in his soul? I'm always um, interested in that. Yeah, but hopefully that's a, that's a good word for you. We'll put that on our Facebook page. You can read that, uh, the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, an article out of Relevant Magazine, The Real Power of Living in Community. That's going to be next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. I'm here. You are here. It is Wednesday. You're here. Uh, We're the day before your favorite day of the week. I don't know why I like to say that, but... I can't believe you haven't said hump day yet. <laughs> Good point. Uh, but those of you uh, probably noticed who listen to our show that Ian's been gone for a little bit, uh, not vacationing, instead doing grad work. But you seem to like that seems to energize you. That seems to fill you up. I, I, I don't sense that you're coming back tired. Oh, I'm still kind of tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I love I love it, though. I've loved grad school. I love. I love I, I mean, I love doing it live, too. Like the program is mostly online. Yeah. Which for an online program is Pretty robust, but there's nothing. 
there's nothing to replace. That's right. In person, like dialogue, and it was a preaching course, so people people were actually preaching sermons and were giving feedback, and that's like oh, that's really fun. A, one part of the job that I really love yep. too. So like that was yeah. And our professor was great. We got to go to his church and oh, how cool! Yeah, it was phenomenal. Uh, so uh, was it? I don't know why this is kind of a sappy question. Hard to be away from your two kids. Probably the longest you've been away from the two of them. I yeah, guess. Yeah, it was really, it was really hard. And Grandma was sending photos and videos, which again, I'm grateful for technology. But then every time I see a little, you know, a little video, of my eldest being like, "Mama, Papa, <laughs> Mama, Papa, come home." Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, for as much as that affects me, it affects my oh, wife ten times yes. as much. Mama, Papa, come on. It's just him and his big cartoony eyes looking right at the camera. Come on, Mama, Papa. You're like, a, I like that he's missing me, but b, can we not tear my heart out with yeah, every right, every text message? I think, I think he said, "No more go, no more go." No more go. I'm like, oh gosh, oh no, he's Louise scarred the poor kid oh well as much as i'm happy to have you back i'm sure he's happier so yes uh at relevant magazine and you just kind of touched on this uh the power of community right you're in a grad school program you kind of do it solo do it alone Mm -hmm. and you've said you really are drawn to the uh, when you're together with the people and at relevant magazine an article came out the other day called the real power of living in community the real power of living in community and it starts this way. Have you noticed the increased and in cliche sayings such as your vibe attracts your tribe? Never nope, heard that one. I never heard it. <laughs> or life is better in community. I could go with that one. It's like a lousy rom-com movie when suddenly all the extras yell to the main character, go get the girl. As annoying <laughs> as those things can be, there is truth to these sayings. I like the go get the girl moments. Too. Like at the end of a, uh, what's Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? What's the... Uh, Oh, that's every movie. Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> Goodwill Hunting. At Imagine the end, like the most infamous pairing of actors at the, at the end of Goodwill Hunting when he's like, "I'm I'm going to going to see a girl." I think that's what it is. See about a girl. See about a girl. Yeah. I love that movie. I do too. Uh, it goes on to say this idea of community support and family shouldn't be thrown away so quickly. The author says, "I like my quiet moments, like the next person, as much as an extrovert can enjoy them, but when we're not careful, those moments can turn into extended vacation into no man's land." Uh, and then it goes on to say uh, that there are important uh, – the, the idea of community is important. The author says, I used to be skeptical of the community idea. After years of being burned by people, I determined life would mm. be much better with myself, husband, and our children in our little world. I quickly learned that's not true the hard way. Uh, try going on an intimate date with two kids or do you talk when your spouse is driving you crazy or who do you talk to? And so the author then comes to this point, through my time exploring community living, I've witnessed four ways living in, com- in a community can impact your life. So the author has set up, this is uh, why community is important, and now going to give us four reasons that living in community can impact your life. Let's go through these four, and I'm curious if people out there even tend to agree with these. Why don't you start? And we love lists we do. here on The Common Good. I so, picture uh, while you were away, you were just looking up lists, reading lists of things. I'm just making up my own lists and creating <laughs> fake websites to see if I can get you to talk about them. Uh, all right, number one here, advice from people invested in your future. Your community, tribe, friendship circle, or whatever you want to call it, isn't random. These are individuals that are joined by a shared value system, a love for one another. With that love comes advice uh, that you love and some that you may not want to hear. But the beautiful thing is that is the right group of people uh, wants what's right for you. They want to see you soar. So, yes, you may hear that your crush is going to crush you or that you need to stop being so anxious and wait on God. And chances are they are right. That's a benefit of the community that will change your life. 
I always feel so weird when it, the, your crush is going to crush you. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good sign. So, so far out of my life. I was say, you've been married two decades. Like, what's a crush again? What is this? That Isn't that a soda pop? <laughs> Next one, you need a safe place to vent. Like I told you, community was not always my thing, but when I hit a bumpy patch with my husband, I needed people to talk to. Who could I trust? How do we find people that won't gossip about us the minute we leave their presence? Mm. That is what invested communities are all about. The people in our circle should have the desire to see you and everything connected to you grow deeper and prosper. That means they aren't afraid to get into the trenches with you, pray with you, cry with you, because essentially they are you. Mm. My community prayed for my marriage. They encouraged me in areas I was failing, and it stayed between us. We need people who can handle seeing your bad side without exposing it all over social media. Mm. That's really good. I think it's interesting, too, because uh, I did a paper on this years ago on, like, the progression away from, like, more communal mindsets and some of the benefits of Mm -hmm. an individualized perspective, but also some of the detriments. And I think the church world has most certainly – you can almost feel it. Like, you guys have the word community in your name, right? Like, there's a reason, like, 80 percent of churches utilize the word community, but sometimes even that's tricky because we just use the word and we're like – that's. But you're not. But we're not really good at living it, right? How do we do this? Yeah. Uh, you need people in the bleachers. Imagine going to a sporting event, walking out onto the field, and realizing you're the only person there. The sheer disappointment of the players would make your skin crawl. It's just not right. It's sad. That's what our lives look like when we don't have people in our bleachers. What's the point of playing if you don't have someone cheering you on? Some of the darkest, most silent times of your life could be drastically different when you have friends to lean on. A group to pump you up when you're deflated and spur you on into victory is invaluable. Your tribe cheers for you. They scream your name every time you score. Your community embraces you, celebrates you when you win, and uplifts you when you lose. That's what you need in your life. That makes doing life uh, with others worth it. This sounds like it was written by an Enneagram 3. (laughs) Number four, people (laughs) need you. Uh, You are so valuable. Your experiences matter. When you keep yourself from engaging in the community, you rob people of the opportunity of learning from and growing with you. I struggled with this concept because it demands openness and vulnerability, two things that aren't natural to me. What if someone used me for what I know? What if they only wanted me around for what I have to offer? Those are real valid concerns. But in reality, they are also excuses to protect our hearts. Not every single person you meet will value you. Some people have already stolen from your life and walked away. Uh, But you are still here, even more valuable than before. So why not allow yourself to grow and help others grow in the community. The risk is truly worth the re- the reward. You'll be astonished by how much impact it makes on your life mm. and you make on the lives of others. I do think these are good. I think that highlights some of the dangers of 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 solitude, or not even just solitude, of of being isolation. Maybe. Thank you, yeah. isolation, um, but also some of the struggles of community. I also like too. I'm glad that they use Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. That used to be one of my life verses when mm. that was a thing. Is that, maybe that is still a thing. Is life versus a thing or Proverbs 27, 17? Yeah, Proverbs 27, like? 17 is still definitely a thing. Life <laughs> versus, so as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I remember hearing that at like a youth conference yep. when I was in junior high. Yep. And they're like, to sharpen something, though, means there has to be friction. Mm. The point of good relationships isn't to be friction-free. That's good. Like how you sharpen something is uh, is determined by your willingness to actually embrace friction. Yeah. And when I think about like my very, very best friends – there's been friction and yeah. disagreement and like poking a finger in my chest, like you're being an idiot. Um, not that everyone's done that, but yeah. there's certainly like a level of depth of like, I know I can come to this person with this thing yeah. and they're going to shoot me straight. Yep. And you can use iron to make things that are destructive 
or you can use it to sharpen the other person. And I think that illustration for me has always like really stood out in my mind. That's really good. The article closes. You don't know how, don't know how to make uh, how to go about living in a community. That's perfectly okay. Start by praying, God. Who do you want me to live in a community with? Show me and lead me to connect with them. Sometimes those simple prayers mm. uh, are what open the door. And there's an article referenced here. Uh, from John Mulaney, a joke of the comedian. He said, Jesus's greatest miracle might have been having 12 friends. <laughs> yeah, right. In <laughs> Commun- his 30s. <laughs> community is difficult, uh, but uh, worth it. Uh, well, coming up next, uh, seven prayers to fight self-pity. We're going to discuss those next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You can continue the conversation Whoa. on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows. You can also listen to the show going on now. Uh, we think that you can also do that on Alexa. That has not been substantiated. <laughs> oh, I like that you outed yourself. But we think you can do that. Do we have a timestamp? As to when this part of the conversation even began, the how long have you been putting off the Alexa? When thing? did we start the show? January last year, <laughs> probably probably about mid February of last year. No, no, no. But it's probably over a month now. Easily, really, easily, <laughs> easily. And uh, yeah, but you can also find us on our podcast. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. We're gonna talk about seven prayers, seven passages. That help us to fight self-pity. It says use these prayers to move past self-pity. But before we do that, you've got a word from Thriven. I sure do. Thriven Financial is an organization that I care a lot about for a number of different reasons. They've come alongside me in ministry and both personally with my family. So uh, I want to tell you a little bit about them. Thriving Financial is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit, which a lot of people didn't even know was a thing. Can you be a non-for-profit? Right. Fortune right. 500. They're that good. Uh, serving members for over 100 years. If you've ever wanted to be your own boss, using your entrepreneurial skills to come alongside Christians in their Wise With Money journey, then I want to encourage you to make the first step in changing your career and the lives of those that you serve at thrivent.com slash careers. That's thrivent.com slash careers. Or just call 630-598-2128 and just tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. I, I hope people do call and just go, Ian. Ian sent me. Do you remember the uh, Seinfeld uh, where George, are you a big Seinfeld guy? Um, medium. I, I've probably seen all of them. There's the one where George, where Kramer tells George to go to this guy and tell him Kramer sent you. And George <laughs> keeps going up to him and just keeps going, Kramer. And the guy looks at him. He's like, Kramer. <laughs> and oh he doesn't know gosh. why. <laughs> he keeps going, okay. Cool, man. I just man. picture people calling up Thrive and just going, Ian. <laughs> Well, literally, the instruction is tell them Ian from the Common Good sent you. Yes. So just saying my name. Ian sent me. <laughs> wouldn't re- That would be, yeah, from the Common Good sent me. Go ahead and do it. Thriving, everybody that I know who deals with Thriving only has unbelievable things to say it's about them. It's crazy, actually. Only has unbelievable things. I, early on, before I was a Thriving member, I actually tried to do some digging. Yeah, to uh, see what was wrong with them. some dirt. Yeah, I was like, this can't be that. It's bonkers yeah. how many people, pastors in particular, are like, oh, yeah, they've like, revolutionized our church and they've come alongside us and done workshops and blah, 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 blah. It's, I mean, reputation isn't everything, but it's certainly not nothing. Like I'm, I've been amazed at how many people are like, oh yeah. Yeah. So if you're out there, I'd encourage you, even if you're not ready to sign on with them, go on their website, check them out, see what they do and give them a call. 
uh, and tell him Ian sent you. So agreed. Uh, or at, Kramer at beliefnet.com. Uh, there, there was this uh, not as much an article as just a list of verses, right? That are seven prayers, seven verses to help us fight self pity. And I don't know if you ever deal with self pity, but I would say that I always deal with <laughs> self pity. I'm the worst at dealing with self pity, Brian. I think sometimes I can be overly self confident, and then flip. People are right now ready to psychoanalyze me. I can then flip that switch pretty good into self pity. Oh. Like, oh, I'm the worst pastor ever. I'm the Why nobody think listens that is? to my Why? show. I don't know. I don't know what that is about me. I so don't you, know what you that tend is. to live in the two extremes, though. I do feel like that sometimes. Do you feel and, like how often do you spend time just in the middle of the road? Like I'm not confident, but I'm not despondent. I'm okay. Yeah. Is it kind of yin and yang a little bit with you? It is. And I mm. wouldn't have said that like a year ago or so. And I don't think so it's, it's the show's fault. Is what you're Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's having to talk into this microphone every day. What happened a year ago? <laughs> it's a valid point. <laughs> uh, and so these are scripture pra- passages to help us uh, to fight with, uh, to move past self-pity, it says. So uh, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the passage. And you give me kind of uh, some pastoral insight. This is, oh. uh, you know, you were just at seminary. You're smart right now. So <laughs> how do these help people who might be struggling with self-pity? So let me start with Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, hmm. for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What are your thoughts on that? One? I actually know a little bit about this one. So it's, okay. it's really common in the first century when uh, a rabbi would choose like a young apprentice, mm-hmm. um, they would call their teachings a yoke. And so that was actually a very common like rabbinic invitation. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke mm. was something that uh, was like a wooden crossbeam on on two cattle, either pulling a plow or a cart of some kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some scholarly work to suggest that a better translation of my yoke is easy is that my yoke fits. It's uh, implying like, man, the yoke that you're carrying doesn't doesn't fit right. Like you're, oh, that's interesting. If the yoke's too that. small or too big, like it really is – it does not spread the weight evenly. It doesn't spread it appropriately. So mm. he's not saying come to me and I'll give you no yoke. Yeah. No yoke for Jesus people. Yep. He's like, no, no, I'll give you a yoke that fits, like one that's, oh, that's like made specifically for you. And I thought, man, that to me like – Open up that yep. whole passage. For me. That's really good. See, this is how we're going to do this. <laughs> I don't have anything for the other passages. Hebrews thirteen, uh, <laughs> Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse five. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, "I will never leave you nor forsake you." Kind of the idea of contentment. How does that help us with self pity? You know, contentment's a weird one because the Bible also talks about like righteous discontentment. That's but right. there are things that we should look at in the world: injustice and exploitation. Go. No, I'm not okay with that. Yep. So this one, this one to me is one of the trickiest in the church world because how do you help someone decipher when they need to be content and they're like, you know, envying everybody else's success mm-hmm. or their status? Or when is it time to be righteously discontent? Say, mm-hmm. nope, we're not okay with people in our community, in our city, in our neighborhood being treated like that or being talked to or being exploited or marginalized. So the the contentment piece is tricky, but free from the love of money, though, is sort of the precursor. That's right. That, to me, I think is a really important one. And it is interesting when it he pairs it with the I'll never leave you or forsake you, mm-hmm. sort of implying like all the, all the stuff, the fulfillment, the fullness that you think that you'll get by pursuing all these things, yeah. like 
my presence with you is the thing that will make you content. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to you don't have to be you know in love with all of this and pursuing all of that because I'm never going to leave you. you know That's I mean? good. That's good. James five thirteen. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Uh, what do you think about that one? You know, I'm inclined to lean in a good deal when the person who is the half-brother of Jesus, the guy who had every reason n- not to think Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah, and didn't for most of his life. Right, right. right. But was eventually martyred, right? Yes, they was, and yes. one of the things that history tells us is that one of his nicknames was Old Camel Knees. Because he spent so much time in prayer, that I he, learned from you. That's really I didn't know that at true. all. He developed these like horrific calluses on his knees because of how much time he spent praying. I find that fat. Like, what would you know your sibling have to do to convince you they were the Messiah? Yep, but probably not possible. Yep. So, like, I, I find it so interesting that for someone who, I mean, honestly, just spent that much physical time with Jesus. To write a book that was that practical, uh, I find really, really fascinating. That's good. Let's make, this one's going to be our last one okay. here uh, because it's a famous one and often most misquoted. Right. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why don't you weigh in on that? <laughs> <laughs> but we've been on such a good rhythm here. We've yeah, been but I weighed rhythm. in on all of them, though. I, I think this helps us with self-pity in the fact that uh, you got to remember that when Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi, he is chained to a wall. Right. Yep. Uh, very likely going to face martyrdom, right? He doesn't yep. know. Right. So this isn't Paul going, hey, I can do anything. I can build a bit. You know, this is <laughs> Paul going. touchdown. Right? right. This is Paul going, I can get through anything that, that this world throws at mm-hmm. me uh, because God is with me and he strengthens me. Good, and I man. think uh, when we are mired in self pity, I think when life is really hard and legitimately really hard, I think we can. That's when this passage can really uh, open up and give us perspective. Agreed. Well the last done. ones, the last ones are going to be First Corinthians ten thirteen, Psalm one thirty five fourteen. If you want to look those up, we just wanted to give you some hope, especially if you struggle with self pity. Uh, wanted to give you some scripture and some hope today. Well, you are listening to the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour on The Common Good, we're going to talk about political correctness in the church, and we're going to talk about the beginnings of Dr. Seuss. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. I'm Brian Fromm. I am glad that you are joining us today. Ian, again back from uh, his week of school down in Tennessee. We are excited mm-hmm. that he came back. Uh, did you miss having a microphone to talk into? 
Like, do you have a different lens? Sometimes I feel like I know uh, of a different lens. I see things and I'm like, ooh, there's a story. Oh, wait, no, I'm not on right now. But, you know, we oh, could talk about that's that. That's an interesting question. There certainly were days, you know, because I'm like listening and mm-hmm. I'm, I had a big drive from Johnson City to Nashville. So I caught up on some of the podcasts. So a big part of it was like, man, they're kind of killing it. Like there were, you know, I think if you guys didn't, if it felt like, oh, I really want to weigh in on this. But like you had great guests. And I was good. like, I don't, I wouldn't need to talk of this at all. I do. I mean, we've, I don't know that we've ever really talked about it this way, but even with our show, don't you sometimes have days you're like, I don't have much to say, <laughs> yes. but, but I do have to fill two hours. <laughs> and yes. I'm sure people right now are like, yes, we know. We know those days. <laughs> it's called today. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some days you're like, boy, God's going to have to do something remarkable <laughs> here. But there are other days like, I cannot wait to tackle this. That's right. Even if I don't know where we're going to go. So yeah, probably a little bit. That didn't really answer your question. No, it's true. It's true. I, I it, there is that thing too where when we have weeks where one of us isn't here and you can bring in just great guests where you're like, oh, I better get back soon. Like this, yeah, is, right, this is good. Right. So, You've mentioned that before. Uh, anyway, we are grateful for the guests who were here. That's right. Uh, lots of good pastors, lots of good authors, and uh, we're looking forward to more and more people. If you've got ideas for people that you think would be interesting for us to talk to, uh, please go to our Facebook page. Uh, that's how we have found some people, just people going, hey, well, you should talk to this person or read this. So you can do go to our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, shoot us a message that just says, hey, I'd love to I'd love for you to reach out to this person, and we'll have our producer reach out to them. So uh, we do want to allow you to have that kind of influence on our show, mm-hmm. but you can only have that influence when you get on the Facebook page, Ooh, The Common Good sassy, Radio Brian. Show. <laughs> you did kind of like a head bob, yeah, too. Just, Where, you oh, only... you can only have it where we let you. <laughs> like a and, sassy uh... Smokey the Bear. <laughs> Listen, only you could bring That was what I was going yeah, for exactly. today. I went, what's my image? Sassy Smokey the Bear. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, it doesn't help that you're wearing like a uh, Rangers hat right now. That's, yeah, that's going to also be my new thing. So uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, David French. So we've talked about David French. Uh-huh. We've used his blog. Uh, what a great name for a blog that he uses, The French Press. I know. That, he on. just, come on. That's just a gift from God. Yeah. Some of our names don't aren't so good for that. Like... Uh, I could always use the one that come, plays off my last name of From, like yep. From My Desk or something like that. It's still uh, not as good as French press. No, it's not at all. I don't know what you could do at all. Usually uh, it's some kind name. of confusion with The Simpsons. I get that <laughs> a lot. Or you could go first name with like Christian. Is that a good idea? I don't know that I want to be Christ inserting. Ian. <laughs> nope. Nope. These are terrible suggestions. Remind me never to let you name anything. <laughs> I put the Ian in Christian. <laughs> no, nope. I told you about the story. Oh, yeah. tell me again because yeah. it was really. Funny. I don't need to tell you again. So. <laughs> I put the- it's just how I got the nickname the Antichrist for three years in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Very painful memory. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, David French at the French Press. You can see his blog. It is literally French Press. Uh, dot com, I think, or dot the Dispatch dot com. That's confusing. Uh, is this he writes the church's real political correctness problem the religious right has created a mirror image pc complete with cancel culture and performative anger why don't you give us a little background of what's going on here and we'll tackle it yeah let me step into it so he says i'm increasingly convinced that the first rule of our modern political and religious disputes is every overreaction is answered by overreaction (laughs) yes error is answered by error and so it is with political correctness I've been meaning to write about political correctness in the church for some time, but I was moved to put virtual pen to virtual paper this week by a poignant tweet from a friend. Karen Swallow Pryor is a Southern Baptist professor. She recently announced that she was leaving Liberty University to join the faculty of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, 
which we've talked about Karen a number of times Absolutely. on the show as well. Karen is a faithful Christian woman who engages the world with an open heart and an open mind. She's also Bible-believing, she's pro-life, and she upholds biblical sexual ethics. She also has a tragic and heroic story. She's back on her feet teaching and writing after nearly losing her life in a fluke bus, bus accident in 2018. Yet this week, she tweeted this, a transparent reflection on her personal pain. So this was Karen's tweet mm-hmm. uh, just last week. I was literally hit by a bus and suffered multiple serious life-changing injuries, but the pain and trauma of that was nothing compared to what I have endured as a result of mm. the trolling, lies, misrepresentation I have endured by a few in and adjacent to the SBC. And that's just uh, one of a big long yeah. thread that she yeah. mentioned there. So French goes on to say, why would a biblically orthodox pro-life professor face such adversity? Was she a victim of leftist cancel culture? No, quite the opposite. Mm. She's been the target of vicious, sustained, and vitriolic attacks from the right. A good way to describe Karen is that she's biblically orthodox but politically heterodox. Here's how the New Yorker described her in January 2019. She is a conservative evangelical and a member of the Thomas Road Baptist Church, which is led by Jonathan Falwell's uh, Jonathan Falwell, which is Jerry's brother. In her 20s, her faith was galvanized by the fight against abortion. She believes that Roe v. Wade uh, could and should be overturned. I don't think it's any more settled law than Dred Scott, she told me. Uh, I mean, you can read the rest of her bio mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. It says, Karen has in good faith and after examining Scripture, not only taking political positions contrary to prevailing Christian conservative conventional wisdom and is open to examining and even supporting, at least to some extent, movements that come from the political left. This combination of beliefs is intolerable to a certain breed of online Christian. And mm. that's kind of the, the yeah, crux of what he's crux. sort of going after there. And you've sort of touched on some of these things a couple of times in the last year and a bit that we've had this show. What do you, what do you think he's getting at? I think he's saying we always think of political correctness, but always the broad brush we paint with is it's always a liberal thing, right? Like it's always they're the ones who want to be politically correct. And now he's saying there is this movement hmm. on the on the conservative, on the right specifically politically, that if anybody says anything um, that's not politically under the umbrella of uh, conservatism, Republican, that they are beginning in the Christian world, uh, especially as she talks about in the SBC with her, uh, to be ostracized, to be attacked, uh, the faith to be called into question. And Friend says, in a healthy culture, debates over these matters, though meaningful and often emotional, are conducted with grace and humility. Hmm. Indeed, that's exactly how countless Christians conduct themselves in their churches, their Bible studies, and their relationships with friends and neighbors, though increasingly that's not online Christian culture, and online Christian culture matters. It's the primary way that millions of Americans experience Christianity. And so he's saying online, especially on the Twitter world, uh, in Facebook or whatever, that we've begun uh, being vitriolic, Hmm. we've begun... Uh, canceling people, and uh, and he's trying to point out this is like a really bad thing. Like Karen Swallow Pryor, just because she doesn't agree with everybody politically, right? Like she is under the umbrella, firmly under the umbrella of orthodoxy, yeah, right. and of somebody who is brilliant and should be read and listened to. And the fact, like someone like her, is just getting beat up to the fact that she says it's worse than when I got hit by a bus is really. Uh, sad and should cause us to go, what's going on in our Christian culture? Well, and we are running out of time a little bit here, but I, I would encourage you to read the whole thing. No, you can find that on the Facebook page. But here, here's where I think he kind of, I think the rubber hits the road here. He goes, where he's left-wing uh, political correctness suppresses speech and debate to allegedly avoid creating offense. Right-wing political correctness is intentionally offensive, 
with each provocation seen as conclusive evidence of, quote, courage. Mm. So and then he kind of goes on to talk about some of the lingo, you know, woke, virtue, signal, uh, virtue signaling, pearl clutching, snowflake. That's what we've talked about on the mm-hmm. show. Once you understand the terms, you see them everywhere online. Are you concerned about the Trump administration admitting an extraordinarily low number of refugees? You're woke. If you think that character matters and that Christians shouldn't support a man that has bragged about groping women, then you're virtue signaling. Are you concerned about young people rejecting Christianity in response to perceived Christian hypocrisy? Then you're pearl clutching. Mm. So his kind of case is not really defending either side. He's no. saying, no, no, it's definitely happening in almost polar opposite ways in both camps. Yeah, and he says, we need to talk about it. Yeah, the politically correct right winger must be aggressive and be sneering, always insulting. It's like different feel hmm. uh, than uh, maybe what it's been uh, in the past. Uh, writing in response to the rising tide, he, he points out of online Christian intolerance, Ray Ortland, who is a pastor that I think is really impressive, tweeted, if we fight for doctrinal faithfulness and win, but we are blind to the equal authority of relational beauty, it might take a generation, but we will inevitably spiral down into angry, self-devouring fundamentalism, and the result will be as bad as the liberalism we opposed. I just oh. think that's so powerful. And you can see the trajectory yes. with some people heading in that direction. And we really, as the global church, as the church, Big C Church, need to really uh, turn that tide. Yeah, 100%. This is a term I'd encourage you to look up to because he writes about horseshoe theory. Horseshoe theory is the notion that at the extremes, opposing ideological movements grow closer together, both that's in ideology and methodology. Classical liberals become authoritarian. The tolerant become intolerant, love becomes hate, all in the service of what is allegedly good and true and so very righteous. So challenging. We'd encourage you to read that at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, I want to talk about the story behind Dr. Seuss and his first book. We're going to Hmm. do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday evening. Hopefully you're driving home from work uh, and you've got a nice evening planned in front of you or you're listening to our podcast right now. Maybe when do you listen to your podcast? I love to listen to my podcast mowing the lawn, but you know what a really random time I listen to podcasts? (laughs) Doing the dishes. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Also working and stuff like that, but dishes, weird one for me. Where's the weirdest time that you're like, I'm going to listen to a podcast? The weirdest. Uh, well, I'm conducting sur- surgery. <laughs> it would have been funny if I didn't stumble on surgery. Gosh darn it. Sur- surgery. Oh, boy. Certainty. Surgery. Sur- when I'm conducting certainty. <laughs> I'm uncertain about that certainty. If you do, if you too listen to the uh, Common Good on podcast while doing surgery, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the uh, the story. This is out of businessinsider.com. The story by Dr. Seuss's first book hmm. uh, teaches us something crucial about risk. I'm going to read that story a little bit. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about Thriven? Yes. Big, big fan Big fan about thriving. Big fan about thriving. Big of fan. thriving. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking of for. Thriving. <laughs> wow, that was a real mental block for me. Big fan. What is Big the word fan about them thriving? <laughs> Boy, that is. It's not like it was a cool, like long, difficult word. Nope. It was of. Couldn't find the word of. O f. Boy, oh boy, it's a long day. All right. So, big fan of thriving. Yeah. See, that came naturally. Uh, Thriving Financial is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit, and they've been serving their members for over a century, which is bonkers. If you ever wanted to become your own boss, using your entrepreneurial skills to come alongside Christians in their wise-with-money journey, I want to encourage you to make the first step in changing your career and the lives of those you serve at Thrivent.com slash careers. You can just go to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's T H R. 
IVENT.com slash careers. Or just call 630-598-2128 and tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. And even if you're not totally sure, yeah. you're like not ready to bail on your job, you're just curious to learn a little bit more about what that could look like, uh, I'd still encourage you to call or go to the website, 630-598-2128. I think you'll be really glad that you did. Awesome. Well, let me read this story Please do. of Ted Geisel. Geisel or Geisel? I'm, I'm not sure exactly which it is, but... I believe this was published the other day because it was his birthday. Um, no, it, it's from 2016. But I mean, I think this popped up on my feed because it was his oh, birthday. I, gotcha. I think he was trending. But let me read this. In 1936, a successful advertising artist walked down Madison Avenue, manuscript in hand, exacerbated because at least 20 publishers had rejected the children's book. He'd written and illustrated. So hmm. just think about that. 20 publishers. Yeah, that's a lot of rejection. On his way home to burn it, he happened to bump into an old college buddy who, in the encounter that followed, would help shape millions of children's lives. Well. It's almost hard to believe that Theodore Seuss Geisel, or Dr. Seuss, as many of us know him, almost never published his first book and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street hmm. because so few people were willing to take a risk on something so completely different from the norm. Editors had told him his book format was out of style and that fantasy wasn't salable. Salable? Salable? Salable. In The Annotated Cat, we learned that, thankfully, Geisel bumped into just the right person that day. Mm. Listen to this story. He happened to bump into Mike McClintock, a friend from Dartmouth. He said, what's that under your arm? I said, a book that no one will publish. I'm lugging it home to burn. Then I asked Mike, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, this morning... I was appointed juvenile editor of Vanguard Press, and we happened to be standing in front of my office. Would you like to come inside? Oh, my word. So we went inside, and he looked at the book and took me to the president of Vanguard Press. 20 minutes later, we were signing contracts. No way. That's one of the reasons I believe in luck, he said. If I'd been going down the other side of Madison Avenue, I would be in the dry cleaning business today. Wow. And to think that I saw, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street was published in thir- 1937. Then, under the pen name Dr. Seuss, and subsequently earned strong reviews as highly original and entertaining work. Thus, beginning Dr. Seuss's influential and prolific career as a children's books, children books author and illustrator. Uh, let's just stop there for a second. There's more to the story. I have. Ne- have you ever heard the story? Because mm-hmm. I've never heard this story. No. And to think about. Like, literally, he goes on to say, if I'd been walking on the other side of the street, if I'd come through here five minutes earlier, right. how the not just his life, but the lives of millions of children would have been different. When you hear this story, what goes through your mind? Well, because I'm a good cynic, Brian, I have some negative thoughts. No, okay. I mean, it's a very, very inspiring story. Yeah. It is also the kind of story that is told best from the perspective and luxury of history, right? Like people, yes. we tell stories of all great innovators this way, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. You know, looking back, like, can you believe no one bought his idea, but he persevered or they started something in his garage and now yeah. he's a billionaire. Like it's <laughs> it's easy from that perspective. You know, like I just wonder, and I'm not, I don't mean to sound so cynical. I am still inspired oh, by stories like this. Self. I've I, missed it. I kind of am though, because it's like, how we wouldn't be telling this story if you bumped into him, published it, and it was a garbage fire. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like that would not be. But because it's Dr. Seuss, yeah. So on the one hand, I'm super inspired by it, and I'm like, keep 
keep pushing. You're super Whoever's cynically inspired by it. Cynically inspired. <laughs> I used to play bass and cynically inspired. Like for people listening right now, and you're trying something unique, you're trying something original, like keep leaning in. Keep. Yeah. But on the, the other part of my brain wants to say, also listen to the advice of your peers. That's good. Or the community. Because maybe, maybe the original thing that you're trying to make happen shouldn't happen or doesn't need to happen. Mm. You know, like that's always a weird – the very fact that he was going home to burn it, by the way, feels like a little dramatic. Like I'm going home to put it in a filing cabinet or worse. Yes. It's little, not like he had a computer to save it on, right? Like, yeah, right. That's true. I don't know. But I, I mostly – I'm 51% inspired. Like okay. just do it. Reach the stars. Keep leaning in. Like you never know what God might have in store for you if you keep listening to his voice and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but also listen to your community because I think God speaks to us through those means as well. So part of this article, Adam Grant, a professor of management at Wharton, uh, who wrote a, the uh, the book entitled Originals, said this. What do you think about this quote? He says, the most original ideas are often the toughest to appreciate. Uh, yeah. That's especially true for people who have a lot of experience. Yep. They develop a taste for the tar- tried and true. And they go on to say this is very likely why the 20 plus other publishers that Geisel met with were too experienced and consequently too stuck in their ways, too mm. risk averse to bet on their this original uh, work. But then McClintock's new to his job and he's looking for kind of a new thing. Right. So two questions for you. Okay. Do you believe that to be true? Yep. 100%. And two, uh, there are some real obvious implications for this for the church. Yep. I knew and you were going to. How does this there. play out? Yeah, I think uh, so. When I first heard Andy Stanley talk about raising up young leaders. He said, you can fight it or you can fund it. Mm-hmm. And so he was saying this in the room. And at the time, I think he was in his late 40s. He goes, I know the next great idea is not coming from my generation. Mm. I just know that. Now, that's not totally true. Yep. We know that also yep. in history that there are plenty of massive innovations that came to people in their 50s, 60s, 70s. So I don't think that's 100% accurate. But I think he's right. I think the developing a taste for something mm-hmm. in business, in the ministry, or anything in between – um, can be a real pitfall. It can be a real strength. Obviously, it's why we're always encouraging people to seek out mentorship, yeah, to have yeah. people pour into you. But I think the mentors that have most resonated with me are the ones that are willing to hold both in open hands to say, here's what I've found to be true. Here's what my research and study and experience shows me. But I also know that God is often up to something new yeah. or that the culture has shifted. So take what's helpful here or take what's wise and also hold that with open hands. So like yeah. even being in my late 30s now, it's interesting how easily this this pull towards familiar, comfortable, tried and true is already happening so true. for me a little bit. We're like at 20. I was like, let's try everything brand yeah, new, which yeah. I'm sure was exhausting to anybody I was on a team with. You know, It is so hard in a church because uh, that's the setting you and I are used to. Right. I, I get the struggle of this is how we've always done it, but I also get the comfort. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you can't come in and just and blowtorch everything. Right. right? Like we're going to do right. everything different. There is a walk line, you know. There is something there, but I I feel this even as I get older. The the pull and the draw towards I don't know. This is how you're supposed to do church, right? Like, supposed this is to what do. you're right. supposed to do. It's right. church, so you do X and then you do Y and then you do Z, right. and you've got yourself a church. Hmm. Maybe talk to the pastor or the person out there who who feels stuck. And what is it? What's the answer? Is it just try try one small thing? Is it Try or is it go big or go home? What what's what's oh, going to be your no, philosophy? No. I, yeah, I don't think it needs to be go big or go home. I think there's a lot of good. There's a couple of TED talks that okay. are really really have been helpful for me in like thinking through about like strategic creativity and also remembering, especially for the pastor listening, like you're you are not to do this alone in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You know, to like 
have people walk alongside the creative process and, and still seek out. That's where I think a lot of leaders get in trouble is they think they need to go up on the mountaintop and then bring down the next Very creative true. genius. Very like, ah, I don't I think that can be really dangerous, too. But yep. it can start small. And even things as little as I was reading an article last week where it was like, hey, whatever hand you like use to wash yourself in the shower, use the other hand. Like just <laughs> l- simple shifts in your like really habitual routine day can like help kind of jumpstart your brain's creativity. Interesting. Yeah. Or if you don't normally use soap, start using soap. <laughs> yeah, that's especially with the coronavirus. I find that to be a fascinating story, this Dr. Seuss story. You can read it uh, on our Facebook page. Coming up next, uh, something uh, Mike, Vice President Mike Pence is getting some online pushback mm. for a very interesting reason. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. And you can find us online, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we are grateful for those of you who listen uh, on your radio. We are grateful for those of you who listen by the podcast. And, uh, you know, we, we love to hear back from you. So feel free to shoot us a message, give us a review, whatever it is mm-hmm. you want to do. Uh, so coronavirus, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. And uh, some people are excited. Some people aren't by the fact that President Trump appointed Vice President Mike Pence uh, to lead the coronavirus task force. Mm-hmm. Again, everything's political in our culture. So <laughs> the people who love Donald Trump and love Mike Pence are saying this is really normal for a president to appoint the vice president to lead something like this. And people who do not like President Trump or Mike Pence are saying, well, what you know, what credentials does he have to lead something like this? So, again, another uh, idea that everything in our culture kind of ends up down along party lines, it feels like. Mm -hmm. But one of the interesting things that has happened is that a picture was distributed recently uh, by the White House of Vice President Mike Pence praying with his coronavirus task force team. uh, And it sparked a heated debate on social media about religion, politics and the efficacy of prayer. So I'm reading this out of Christian headlines. Uh, It says the simple photo shows Mike Pence sitting in a chair and bowing in prayer as more than 15 others in the room also pray. Uh, But Thomas Chatterton Williams, a writer for New York Magazine and Harper's Magazine, wrote a tweet that attracted more than 4,300 retweets and 1,300 likes and started the debate. He simply wrote this while having the picture of Mike Pence and his team praying. He wrote this. Mike Pence and his coronavirus emergency team praying for a solution. We are so screwed. Others agreed with Williams. Uh, Matt Novak, an editor at Gizmodo, tweeted, Mike Pence can pray whenever he likes, but I do find it odd to see him leading a prayer during a meeting of a coronavirus task force with people like the head of the CDC Hmm. uh, and a well-known doctor, Anthony Fauci. Uh, Novelist Irvine Welsh also commented on Twitter, Uh, I wouldn't read that. Yep, not going to read the full (laughs) things, but let's just say that she did not do a, uh, was not excited about the prayer time going on. But uh, evangelist, frankly, Graham, uh, obviously you would think he went a different way with this. He wrote a touching and powerful photo of VP Mike Pence and the president's coronavirus task force praying when they met last week in his office. Thank you, Mike Pence, and each one of who is serving. Let's join them in asking God for his wisdom, direction, and help 
in the response. The last one I want to highlight is an interesting one. Jonathan mm-hmm. Merritt, you and, and I talked Give people about. a little context for him before you read it. Yeah, so Jonathan Merritt, and you might need to help me with this in a good description of him. Jonathan Merritt uh, grew up Southern Baptist. His dad is James Merritt, who has been the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. And uh, Jonathan Merritt now is one of the uh, torch holders, I would say, for progressive Christianity. He's an author, a speaker. Yeah. Uh, he does not usually have good things to say about Mike Pence or Donald Trump. But I, I think Jonathan Merritt is very honest. And so I actually like to follow him on Twitter. Hmm. Um, so he wrote – is that a good way or would you no, no, add that's anything? Great. That's great. I just think that helps uh, accentuate yep. what you're about to read. Yep. Merritt wrote this with that picture – and the words of Thomas Chatterton Williams mocking the picture. Merritt said, criticize Mike Pence all you want for being inept in his strategy to dealing with this. So laying his cards on the table there. Right. But mocking him for praying, like 79% of Americans have done in the past three months, is why so many regular Americans despise wine and cheese uh, liberals. And uh, and there's more at here, but I found that Merritt one really interesting. Why did you find it so interesting? Uh, because as he says in the first line there, not a huge fan. He's right. not a huge fan of Trump and Pence uh, and would usually side with people who are pushing against them. But he's right. going, listen, the majority of our country prays. Right. And this right. is an interesting tactic and why people are kind of uh, against what he referred. I've never heard the phrase wine and cheese liberals. Um, I think it's a pretty interesting phrase, though, to be honest. It really is. And so uh, before diving into just the concept of prayer, what do you think about this brouhaha in general over this picture? Because nobody's saying that Mike Pence and the task force, that all they did was pray. I know. Right? Nobody is saying that they said they prayed and then said, all right, let's go and hope. I know. But they got into work. So what does this surprise you? Or is this like, no, I fully expect people to say this about a picture like this? It doesn't surprise me, but it does bum me out. And I feel like one of the things that we've tried to do on this show is to criticize equally on both sides, yep. you know, and yep. to do our best to find some middle space, some um, common ground for the common good, all mm-hmm. that stuff. It it feels impossible to do anything ever nowadays. Like right. how how dare he? And again, this is a snapshot, right? And yep. even the fact that it's posted on ChristianHeadlines.com has a particular bent. Yep. So I, I want to... And like, also remember, there, to be honest, it's a snapshot put out there, some could say, in, in a... What was the purpose of sending this picture out in the first place sure. by the White House? So it's all over the place here. Yeah, but like, is that that much different though than no, if I'm you had a prayer meeting with the leaders of your church mm-hmm. and someone just happened to take a picture of the leaders and post it? Like, man, I love that the leaders of Four Corners yep. Community Church are praying for our community and for our church. Yep. No, I'm good with it. It's not a, may, and maybe that's what somebody is reading into it. Just the tone feels braggadocious. Like, look at us praying. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that though. It's not like at all. here's the thing that's freaking our nation out, and. They did more than just pray, but they are, they're seeking God for wisdom. And this is what I do appreciate about Merit. And I'm sure some people are maybe, <clears throat> they're hearing his name for the first time. Yeah. And they're going to head over to his Twitter and they're going to go, oh, he's way more liberal than I'm comfortable with. Yep. That's totally fine. Yep. His willingness to say, hey, I don't necessarily agree with this administration. Um, mocking him for praying the way that so many people in America mm-hmm. do just shows this further disconnect yep. that yep. seems to be kind of in a lot of ways at the center of this divide. That I do find disheartening. Yeah. And I mean, people were praying in churches this week about the coronavirus. Right. Exactly. Uh, as pastors were calling people to prayer. And so uh, what do you think this had more to? Well, let's ask it this way. Okay. Does it surprise you uh, or what do you do with the dismissiveness towards prayer 
in these uh, in these tweets. Just kind of like uh, what a waste of time. Like look at them just praying. Uh, th- there's a dismissiveness to prayer, and I think that's what Merritt's getting at. I think there's always been a dismissiveness to prayer, though. Mm-hmm. I think people's big issue, especially, and we've talked about this in the show, like after some kind of tragedy. Where you know the response tends to be thoughts and prayers. Yep. I think the 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 main mantra that I've heard in the last couple of years is can't just be prayers. Yes. Which again, no one is saying that in this meeting here that all they did was pray. Correct. So this, yeah, it ends up feeling just like a general mockery of prayer, I guess. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just a way of. I'm trying to think of an extreme example where this would make sense. You know, if somebody was just really obviously inflicting evil on people and then there's a photo of them praying. You'd <laughs> yeah. be like, okay. Now you're now all of a sudden you're praying. That might be what some people are feeling. Like they don't, you know, necessarily believe that it's genuine, genuine. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, man. To me, I don't really ever want to be in a place where I'm I'm mocking someone's prayer life. Honestly, even for people that are of different religions than me. Like yeah. I still to some degree, I'm like, I want to honor the fact that you have made this a priority in your life. Mm. Um, yeah, this general cattiness to me is a little discouraging. Yeah, let me ask you this question. Okay. Uh, and this is the hard one. Uh, somebody in your church comes to you and goes, Pastor, I'm struggling with does the prayers actually matter? Yeah. Do they actually matter? How would you answer that question? Gosh, we did a whole series on prayer last year. And one of the things that uh, that we talked a lot about was prayer is n- is not just simply... It's not us trying to like convince God to do something. In a lot of ways, prayer is about changing us. It's mm-hmm. about increasing our dependence or even reminding us of our dependence. Yeah. I think so often when we treat prayer like it's this, like God's some sort of pinata in the sky, and if I pray the right prayer in the right way, yeah. then he's obligated to rain down on me whatever I'm asking. I think prayer is a whole lot more about like recentering, recalibrating, realigning, and one more re, just remembering that we are <laughs> – ultimately dependent on God. So yeah, I, I've seen God move in miraculous mm-hmm. ways, but I know that sometimes we pray and it doesn't seem like the thing we ask for happens, right. but it does also do something in our hearts. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think prayer is absolutely central to who we're called to be as Christ followers in the world, even and especially if we don't actually see the results that maybe, you know, deep in our heart we're yeah. hoping for. Yeah, that's really good. I'm going to leave it at that because that's really well put. Because I think people <laughs> do struggle with that. Like, all right, we're all praying and the coronavirus is still going on. Like, what's uh-huh. right. what do we do with that? So uh, we'll put this article up at our Facebook page and would love to hear your comments about it. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show the way we always end our show. And I'm confident this is the one thing that Ian Simpkins missed the most <laughs> on his week, week and a half, uh, not here. Uh, we are going to end with some interweb insanities. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no 
strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music, that intro can only mean one thing. It is interweb insanity. You might be thinking to yourself, you're new to the show. What is this interweb insanity? Well, here's what it is. Our producers, sometimes uh, Keith, sometimes John, they will choose stories, uh, crazy stories from the internet that you and I have not seen. We're just going to read these sight unseen. Mm -hmm. We have not heard uh, the audio clips that go with them. We have not. And uh, we're just going to go for it. So why don't you go first? Why don't I go first? You've missed these. I'm sure you were opening up the internet just reading these to people at at your grad school. It is funny doing this regularly now. Sometimes... Like, stuff will come across my feed and go, this is probably going to make it into Inner Web <laughs> And it does. This one's out of India. Pigeon boards passenger plane in India. Delays takeoff. Not the pigeons takeoff. <laughs> planes take off. <laughs> <laughs> the photo is the pigeon is in full takeoff, actually. Uh, That's good. So Grammar a passenger, passenger on a flight from, oh gosh, how was that? Ahmedabad. 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 Is that right? Sure. Bad? Okay. So Jaipur in India said their takeoff was delayed for about... Uh, half an hour due to a pigeon flying through the passenger compartment of the plane. A passenger on the Go Air flight captured video Friday of the pigeon flying from one end of the plane to the other, pursued by the cabin crew. The passenger said takeoff was delayed for about 30 minutes while the crew shooed the pigeon out of the plane. Go Air apologized for the incident on Twitter. Get off my plane. Next one's out of Oregon. Goat makes trouble inside Oregon group home. Hmm. Police in Oregon responded to an adult group home where a goat had come inside and acted in a threatening manner, causing residents to barricade themselves inside a room. Charles Roberts, a resident at the group home in northeast Portland, said he spotted the goat wandering around a nearby busy street and guided the animal out of the roadway. He said the encounter started out pleasant, but the goat followed him inside the group home and started attempting to headbutt residents. The residents locked themselves inside a room away from the goat and called police. Police were able to capture the goat with a leash and walk it to a nearby farm, which had agreed to keep an eye on the animal until its owner could be found. You know, it's kind of weird that Tom Brady would act like that. (laughs) The goat. Well done. Well done. (laughs) It wasn't really well done. I've been sitting on that for the last 30 seconds. (laughs) Way too excited about that. All right, out of Pennsylvania, Penn State students hold vigil for a closed Taco Bell location. Hey, we talked about this yesterday. (laughs) Penn State University students and community members gathered at the site of a shuttered shuttered Taco Bell for a vigil morning loss of the fast food restaurant. The Taco (laughs) Bell location on East College Ave in State College unexpectedly closed its doors permanently last week, leading Penn State students Rajesh Patel to organize the Sunday night vigil. The vigil, which was advertised on Facebook, brought out... I love this. Dozens of attendees, including former employees, to pay their respects to the closed eatery. Can you really call Taco Bell an eatery? <laughs> Taco Bell was our home away from home and added spice to our life. Patel, who attended the vigil in a taco costume, <laughs> told the assembled crowd the nearest Taco Bell to the closed location is about two miles away. <laughs> Yo quiero Taco Bell. Man, that's why I love college kids. Like that's great. If you go, you need to Google this and look at more pictures. There's it, like flowers and candles, and there's also a lot of people there. Is there really? Yeah, like that's this one doesn't show you how many people. It looked like, like if you looked at it, 
not, not to be dark, but it looks like like a vigil that you'd hold for a tragedy. Dark. That's and, pretty uh, dark, Brian. And hey, if a Taco Bell can't make it next to a state campus, like yeah, what's going deserve. on there? Well, it closed. It says unexpectedly. Yeah. So I'm thinking drugs. Rats. <laughs> Rats would have been better. Florida. Florida town says ban on drinking on the beach has stopped rowdy spring break parties. Makes sense. Hmm. Spring breakers be forewarned. You still can't drink booze in March on the beach in a Florida town seeking to curb rowdy partygoers. The Panama City News Herald reports that the month-long ban is paired with a 2 a.m. deadline to buy alcohol anywhere within city limits. Panama City Police Chief Drew Whitman says zero-tolerance policy originally enacted in 2015 has helped the city transition from a national spring break hotspot to a more family-friendly destination all year long. Hmm. Whitman says enforcing the ban includes extra officers on the beach, some on all-terrain vehicles, violators can be fined or even jailed. My advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Uh, am I the only one who saw at 2 a.m. and thought, that's the latest I had seen anywhere you could buy alcohol? Yeah, my guess is on spring break, places that are catering to the spring break crowd may just have different, more more loose uh, ordinances. Gosh, if you're bummed that you can only buy alcohol till 2 a.m., it's time to go home. Go buy it at 1.30 and stack it up. (laughs) That's terrible advice. What time in the morning do you think you're allowed to start selling? (laughs) Ryan Fromm's advice, go at 1.30 and stack it up. And Sorry, just, scrub yeah, that. <laughs> just get just get hammered. Just get tanked in someone's basement. <laughs> Welcome to Panama City. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. Last but not least, Texas. Take a leap of faith with me. Houston woman proposes on leap day during skydive. What? A Houston couple is celebrating leap day in a big way. Emily and John met in Houston ten months ago, walking around their neighborhood while walking their rescue chihuahuas. They both had rescue chihuahuas. Uh, maybe it's because of the Taco Bell closing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that was stupid. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I like that one. Uh, John had plans to propose to her on Valentine's Day, but their car was broken into that night. Oh, my gosh. To make matters worse, he came down with the flu the week after. Sensing that John was feeling down about the foiled plans, Emily planned a surprise skydive on Leap Day. In the Irish tradition, a woman asks a man to marry her on Leap Day. And since Emily and John are both from Irish Catholic families, she decided to make the most of the opportunity that comes once every four years. Today on Leap Day, will you take a leap of faith with me and marry me? Emily asked before the big jump. After, of course, saying yes, John jumped out of the plane first, landing in time to be ready when Emily arrived, waiting on one knee to return the proposal. (laughs) Proposals don't have to be perfect, Emily said. Even if you have really bad luck, the right time will come. Skipped over the line and said, unfortunately, Emily's uh, parachute did not open. No, I'm still kidding. Oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Man, you are 0 for 4 in your sanity. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, hey, man, it's great to have you back. <laughs> Thanks, man. It, uh, it, it just feels right, the two of us doing a show together. So I'm excited that you're back. <laughs> we'll both be here tomorrow. Uh, join us here on AM 1160. Join us from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.